0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. What's up, church? How are we this morning? Good, man. I'm impressed with how many of y'all came to church on Super Bowl Sunday. I'm proud of you guys. Yeah, it's awesome. That's not what, exactly what I was expecting, but I'm pleasantly surprised. Let's just do this. I won't do any more Super Bowl references, okay? Chiefs, rooting for the Chiefs, where you at? Raise your hand. Okay, shout out Brad and Sheila. You've been rocking that gear way longer than just this morning, so come on. Uh, Niners, they're playing the Niners. Who's got Niners? Okay, okay. Uh, Who's just excited for commercials? Okay, a lot of honesty. Uh, Really, the real question is, who's just happy that it's not the Patriots? Yes, okay. And everyone outside of Massachusetts said, amen. Okay. Um, Yeah, hey, we are starting a new series this morning that we are calling Abel. Abel. And um, what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks is we're going to be looking at stories in Genesis. And we're going to look back at these really old stories. So Genesis, written somewhere between like 6,000 and 65 million years ago, depending on whether you're a young earth creationist, old earth creationist, most of you don't even care what I'm saying right now, and like, you're like, just get on with it, Austin. So as long as you're like, I'm a young earth person, by the way, so just like shout out there. But if uh, you don't care, so we're going to move on. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at these stories that are really, really old and in a, time, in a time on the earth when really the world looked nothing like it did today. People didn't communicate, didn't interact in the way that we communicate and interact today. People didn't, people didn't get around like we get around today. They didn't watch TV. They didn't watch the Super Bowl back in Genesis, okay? They, people didn't do really anything like politics, the landscape. Nothing really looked like it did today. And yet what we can do is we can take this, the truth that's in these stories. We can, we can take the truth that these characters get to glean and we can lay it on top of our lives today. And I think there's something of value for it, uh, for us in it still, and so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of tease some stuff out of, these, out of these stories. And what we're going to be looking at is how God, ultimately it is God who is able. And so um, I, I, I don't know if you know this, but there was a lot of like pressure that I put probably on myself to really just like have a decent series, my very first series. Like, like first four weeks in January, I was like, man, you know what? I just really got to get at least a base hit out of this thing. I'm not, I wasn't trying to get a home run, just trying to get on base. You know what I'm saying? First four weeks, like... Just like, I just got to get this thing in play here. Um, and then what happened was this week, really uh, kind of some panic set in because I had some idea for where we wanted to go in February. And, and I had this idea of um, able and God being Abel. Uh But man, I've heard one pastor say it this way, like Sundays come around with an alarming regularity. <laughs> and that's just true. And, and so here I am like, okay, wait, able, like is that, it's just going to be words that end with able. That's not that cool. Like, I was like, there's got to be something more to that there, you know? And um, so so then I thought of this verse, Ephesians 3.20. And so we can put this on the screen. And uh, my hope, we're going to read this together real quick. My hope, I'll just kind of let you guys know, I hope we can all memorize this by the end of these four weeks. I think this series is going to be four weeks long. But so read it with me and maybe, man, practice it in front of your, in front of your bathroom mirror, uh, read it with your kids, but let's get this thing memorized. Let's commit it to a memory, get it in our heart, and let's, uh, let's come out of this with this thing stuck in our heads. Okay, so read it together with me. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So I had this realization, like, I don't want to just look at how God is able, because I think generically we can just kind of slap that on a bumper sticker of our faith and just say, okay, God is able. Yeah, God, God can do this. I can pray. God can show up. God is able. Right? But, but there's, this, there's this truth in this text today that, that God's not just able. It's not just accomplishable for him. But he's far, he's, he can do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or think. And so that should it incite at least just a little bit of curiosity in our spirit, shouldn't it? Like, wait, in this circumstance, in this situation, you're telling me God's not just able, but he's able to do far more abundantly than all that I could ask or think? Like, that should do something. That should stir us up in some sort of way. So I don't know what you think of when you think of the word abundant. What I think of is I flip back to sixth grade earth science class. So there I was. I was assigned to do a, a presentation on an element. And the element assigned to me was aluminum. Aluminum. So I got in, I started researching aluminum and I rehearsed and I practiced and I had this presentation on aluminum and I talked about how aluminum makes up 8% of the earth's crust. It's the third most available element in the earth and it's the first most available metal. It's the most abundant metal that there is in the earth's crust. And my science teacher at the time, Mr. Poole, this quirky older guy, right, he has the nerve to stop me mid-presentation, and he says, now, Austin, clearly you know what the word abundant means. Can you please inform the class what the word abundant means? Because he puts me on the spot, right in front of My mom's, like, dying laughing over here, right? She's like, I know, this story's going to end. Up. So, thanks, Mom. Love you. Um, so I'm like, I'm like... Well, uh, ab- abundant, obviously, Mr. Poole, classmates, abundant means it's very rare. <laughs> Which, if you're not laughing right now, that's, it's the opposite of what abundant means. <laughs> abundant means it's literally everywhere, okay? Eight percent of the entire earth's crust is made up of this element. And I, I, and I said all that, I present all that, and I'm like, it means it's rare. I just, you know, you, put, you get put on the spot in front of a lot of people and they all laughed at me, just like you all laughed at me. Mr. Poole laughed at me, probably. And it's a miracle I ever recovered to be able to speak in front of people again. <laughs> but here I am. Praise the Lord. So abundant, abundant. He's going to do far more abundantly all that we could, all that we could ask or think. It's going to exceed it so greatly that I can't, even, I can't even wrap my puny pea-sized brain around what he's capable of doing. God has a capacity to do something, uh, to, to yield a certain outcome that I can't even really grip with my own brain. You can't, all of us, if we work together, we can't even really begin to fathom what that's like. We can't even comprehend the depth and the richness that there is to our God. And so this is where we're going to be going, looking at stories in Genesis and looking at how it's not that God is just able, it's that he's able to do far more abundantly. Sound good? doesn't matter if it sounds good to you or not. Like, I got the microphone, so here we go. Um, the first thing that we're going to look at week one is that, that God sees all things as restorable. Restorable. Our God is a God of restoration, amen? Our God looks at every, everything that happens here on the earth, and he sees the ability, he sees, and he has the desire to, to bring restoration to it. And so uh, I I realized, looking back at some messages, I always like to provide definitions, and I don't really know why that is. Uh, But look at, I I was like, okay, what's the definition of restorable? Just give me a generic definition. So I Googled it, and this is the first definition I got. Restorable. Fit for restoring. That's so lame. Don't you hate when the dictionary does that? That was my first, like, response, though, on Google, and so I wanted to share that with you all just to show you how frustrating that is. Okay, so the real definition, Restorable to return something or someone to a former condition, place, or position. And so when I think of Restorable, I don't think of a story in the Bible, I think of my first car. Uh, My first car was a 1984 Ford F-150, two-toned, black and silver, and it was awesome. I love that truck. It got terrible gas mileage, but who cares when you're 16, right? Uh, when I was like 15 or so years old, uh, my dad, along with my brother, my friend Greg, we stripped that thing all the way down to the frame and we restored it. We scraped every ounce of grime and muck and, and, and oil and rust and we scraped it all down. We painted it up. We cleaned it up nice, put it all back together, put a three-inch body lift on that thing and put in power door locks and power windows. <laughs> awesome, right? And uh, like I said, I love that truck. And what we did in that process was we We restored it. We brought it back to its former state, to its former glory. And I think there's all of us in in human nature somewhere that, that we long to see things restored. I think as we look at the world that we live in, as we look at different relationships that are going south, as we look at different situations that are going bad, as we see things that are broken, things that need to be preserved, we recognize that there's something better for this thing that's broken, something better for this thing that is wounded or hurting. And we say, man, we can put this back together. And so it shows up in our, the way we treat the environment. It shows up in the way that we treat politics and the way that we treat each other, that there's this desire to see things put back together, put back into the state, into the way they were meant to be. We have this desire in us. And, we, and really, truly, we as humans, we have the capacity for some really beautiful restoration. And I think the reason for that is because we're all made in the image of God. And so you, whether you believe in God or not today, you're still made in his image, I believe. And that means that you have part of his nature, part of his DNA is in you. And so as you see things that are broken, you long to restore them because that is the very character, the very nature of our God. He longs to put things back together. He is a God of restoration. He sees every situation, every person as restorable. Restorable. And so I want to jump into a Bible story that is probably one of the more famous stories of restoration. That's the story of Joseph. That's the story of Joseph. And if you have your Bible, you can open up to Genesis chapter fifty. And we're going to read that in just a minute. It's kind of the climactic ending to this, to this story of Joseph. But in case you're not familiar with that story, let me give you a little context. Excuse me one sec. <coughs> I want to give you a little context of this story. Um, maybe you haven't been to one of our VBSs. I feel like every year VBS we talk about Joseph in some way. And it's because Joseph is awesome. Joseph really does have an awesome story. Uh, but Joseph's story starts in Genesis chapter 37. It actually starts with this guy named Jacob, who's got a whole bunch of sons. One of his sons is Joseph. Now it says very clearly in the Bible that Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. And so Jacob, man, he might be the father of Israel, but his parenting tactics aren't the best. Because he has this clear favorite son who is the son of his olden years, is what it says. And so he gives Joseph this beautiful coat, this beautiful multicolored coat. And what that incites, like just parenting tip, all right? If you have a favorite kid, I think maybe that's okay, but like don't let all your other kids know it at the very least, right? Like just like have a favorite kid, but let it be subtle, right? Don't make them this gigantic, beautiful coat and then be like, this is my favorite son. Don't touch him, right? And so the brothers hate Joseph. All of his brothers hate him. And, and, and it doesn't help because Joseph, he's really self-unaware, if you know the story, you know what I'm talking about. Like he has no idea of like what's really going on in the situation. So he has this dream. He's like, man, you guys, brothers, weirdest dream. Okay. So there were all these bundles of wheat and my bundle of wheat was awesome. Your guys' bundles of wheat were all totally lame. They came and they were bowing down to my bundle of wheat. Like that's so crazy, isn't it? Oh my gosh. Brothers are like, what? You like, Brothers get mad. They're like, what do you think? We're just going to like bow down to you that you're going to rule over us one day. He's like, well, maybe, but it's not just that. I had another dream. Craziest thing that there were all these stars, these 11 stars in the sun and the moon, and they were all bowing down to me, right? Like, you know, that person, right? Who's like sharing that thing. Like, I don't know. I guess I'm just like totally awesome. And you're totally the worst. I don't know what to do about it. Right? Like, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. So here's the pro tip in this part of the story. Okay. God may have given you a dream. God may have spoken something to you. And it might be true. It might be true. Doesn't mean it needs to be said. Doesn't mean it needs to be said. Right? So don't be that person in the office and you're surrounded by all your coworkers and you're all up for the same promotion. Right? And you're like, oh my gosh, you guys go into the office one day and you're like, I had the weirdest dream. I was sitting on top of this desk, and I had this tiara on, and you guys were all bringing me all, like Starbucks and lunch. and st- It was so, I don't know what to make of it. It was so weird, right? Like, don't be that person, okay? So moving on, we go in Joseph's story. One day, Joseph's brothers are all working out in the field, and I, I, it probably adds insult to injury that all the brothers are already at work in the story, and then Joseph's kind of tagging along after the fact. Classic little sibling move, Right? Like, yeah, we've been cleaning the kitchen for hours now. You've been in the bathroom and all of a sudden now you want to help? It's done. Thank you. (laughs) It's coming from an older brother in me. I'm sorry. So let's, um, as Joseph's walking up to them as they're working in the field, uh, they're plotting to kill him. They're like, that's it. We're done. I hate this guy. Let's kill him. Let's murder him. Let's figure it out. We'll put him in a pit. So he comes out there, they throw him in a pit, they're gonna just leave him for dead. And then one of them, as they're eating lunch before they go back, he has this idea. He's like, hold on, guys, guys, what are we doing? We shouldn't kill our brother, we should sell him. And then we could get (laughs) some money out of this deal. I just like, I don't care how much, like younger people in the room, if you have a little brother, I don't care how much you hate your little brother, you're not that bad. Like you're not as bad as the brothers in this story. These guys are shady, shady, right? They're gonna sell their little brother into slavery and then they're gonna fake his death to his dad. And that's what they do. They sell Joseph to, these, to this caravan of people and Joseph ends up all the way down in Egypt. He was in Canaan, he ends up in Egypt. And in Egypt, he's put in this guy's house named Potiphar. And Potiphar's in high places in Egypt and, and Joseph gets to work with him. And the, the line that shows up here and it shows up in one other spot is that Joseph was successful in all that he did because the Lord was with him. Joseph was successful in all that he did because the Lord was with him. And so Potiphar just starts releasing more and more duties to him and more and more trust to him. And ultimately, like, Joseph's kind of rising up through the ranks and he's taking care of a lot of stuff. And and things on the outside really are going quite well for Joseph. They're going pretty good. And they're not just going good. He looks good. He's one of the few people in the Bible that the Bible says and Joseph was attractive in both appearance and form. What does that even mean? Like Joseph's in heaven right now. Like, I don't know how attractive was I? You know, it's just written in the inerrant word of God that I was beautiful. Right? Modern translation would be like, he was jacked and he looked good. Right? That's Joseph. So things are going pretty good for him. He looks good according to the Bible. Not a bad day. Right? And, uh, but he, he looks so good that Potiphar's wife takes note of how good he looks. And that's when it becomes a problem. And so Potiphar's wife starts making a move on Joseph. Joseph is a man of integrity. He's like, whoa, 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 no way, no way, no way. And uh, that makes Potiphar's wife mad because she, she has the hots for him. And, and, uh, and so she then, because Joseph is denying her, uh, she freaks out. And because she's like, she's like the wife of said important Potiphar person, right? He, uh, she accuses him of doing shady stuff. And of course, everyone believes her because he's just a servant. She's, she's in high places. He gets tossed into jail. So, so downturn number two in Joseph's story. And the Bible doesn't allude to this at all, but I just got to draw my own human conclusion here that, that man, Joseph, the, even though the Lord is with him, even though the Lord is blessing him and is, and is doing miraculous things to him, you got to just believe that, that he still has some woundedness and some hurt that he's dealing with, right? Because why would God put this dream in my heart? Why would God put this desire in me? Why would God call me to a certain place? But then I get thrown here, I get sold into here, and then I get tossed into jail here. Maybe some of you are feeling like that today. Why has God led me to where I'm at right now? And so we'll get more into that in just a minute. What do we make of that situation? But again, in the prison, the line is the Lord was with Joseph and the Lord blessed and was, and was made him successful in everything he did. And so this doesn't fit neatly into the rest of my sermon here. So I just want to say it right now. Um, the Lord was with him in the lowest points of his story. And I hope you can take note of that because, the, and, and as, I, as I've walked closely with people who have suffered, as we have walked through suffering with people, and as you walk through stuff, as I listen to your stories, there, there is a nearness to God. There is a proximity with your Savior in those down times that some people would even allude to this fact that they almost miss being in the throes of that terrible diagnosis. They almost miss being in that time of trouble, in that time of chaos because the Lord was so close. Oh, it was so close, and it's like, of course, I don't really rationally want to go back to that down moment, but in my mind, what I do understand is that man, I had an intimacy with God that was so beautiful in that down time, and that's available to you. If that's you this morning, there, there's an availability. God is always near, He is near and available to the brokenhearted. So, again, that doesn't fit neatly, so that was just kind of for free right there. But we're going to move on in Joseph's story, and Joseph, Joseph goes on. Again, he's successful, Lord's blessing, everything he's doing in the jail. And the jailer guy puts him in charge of the whole prison. I don't really understand how that works because jails must just not function the way they do now, right? Because that just doesn't happen anymore. But, uh, but then Joseph has this run-in with a couple of Pharaoh's dudes, Pharaoh's baker and Pharaoh's cupbearer. I don't really know why they're in there, but they're in there. And all of a sudden they're having these crazy dreams, and Joseph's like, oh, I got you. I can tell you what those dreams mean. And for the baker, it's not so good of news. The baker has this dream and Joseph's like, well, sorry, but what your dream means is that you're about to get hanged and the birds are going to eat you. So kind of a bummer, kind of brutal. Uh, the cupbearer, though, good, hey, good news for you, buddy, though, is that uh, you're about to be restored out of this place. You're going to get called up out. You're, you're out. So, hey, uh, here's my number. Joseph's like, hey, don't forget a brother in here, right? Like, don't forget I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm helping you. I'm, I'm available if you need me. And the cupbearer gets out of jail, and he forgets. He forgets, right? At least not, not right away. I don't know how long he's still in there. He's stuck in there. But, but for a time, Joseph's forgotten. He's neglected. He's, he's left out again. But then Pharaoh has this crazy dream. Pharaoh, the the king of the whole place, of all of Egypt, he has these dreams. And they're weird dreams, man, right? There's like these seven fat, sleek cows. And then there's these seven raggedy, like nasty looking cows. And the nasty cows eat the big cows. Pharaoh's like, what the heck do I make of that? Okay, I don't know. But then all of a sudden there's a dream of these seven healthy, beautiful stalks of grain, Right? And then there's, there's seven nasty-looking stalks of grain, and, and the stocks of grain consume. They, they take over. They, they get rid of the healthy ones. was like, I don't know what to make of this dream. And, and then the cupbearer in my mind, he's like, oh, you know what? I got a dream guy. Yeah, 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 I got a dream guy. He's in jail. Let me call him up. I got his number a while back. Brings him back up. They bring Joseph there. And he gives him the dream and he tells him what it all means. And Joseph's like, here's what your dream means. And there's been two of the dreams. So that means it's going to happen. God's saying when he's communicating in double that it's going to happen. It's a sure thing. And he says, the seven, the seven healthy things, whether it's the grain, whether it's the cows, they represent seven years of plenty, seven years of abundance that are going to happen in not, just in, in not just Egypt, but in this region. And then the seven unhealthy things, the seven raggedy looking things, what they mean, whether it's the cows, whether it's the wheat, that means that there's going to be the seven years of health and, and prosperous time is going to be followed by seven years of, of famine. There's going to be just nothing and so Joseph's like, man, you should probably like I don't know if I was you like I would set some stuff aside in the years of in the years of abundance, and then you'd have enough saved up that you could provide for yourself in the years of famine. And so, like, long story short, all of that happens. Joseph is, like, restored. He's put in charge of executing said plan that he came up with. And and what it leads to is this climactic moment where we're now not just Egypt, but all of the surrounding areas, because they have leftover in this time of famine, they're in the seven years of famine, and, and people are coming to Egypt to get food, to be cared for. And one of those groups of people is Joseph's family from Canaan. They come, and, and they're, they're able to be provided for. Like, Joseph's able to give to them. And then, like, in my mind, it's like this dramatic, like, Joseph kind of rips off the wig, and he's like, it's me, your brother, all along. And here's where we pick it up in Genesis chapter 50. So you can throw it on the screen. All that backstory for that line right there. Genesis 50, Verse 18. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Don't, Do not fear. They were terrified. They knew what they had done. They knew the mistakes they would made. They were terrified. He says, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, here's the line. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I'll provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So there's a couple things that I've noted about this story that are good truths that I think we can, we can uh, draw out of today. Uh, the first thing that I want to point back to is that um, let's not be so quick to forget what we talked about last week. The last week of established uh, part four, where we talked about that we're all kingdom carriers. And that is Joseph in this story, is it not? that regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation that he finds himself in, no matter how his life takes a nasty turn, he, he is, the Lord is with him and he's successful in what he does, aka he's carrying the kingdom with him wherever he goes. So let's just not be so quick to forget last week's message and let's remember it today in this story as well. But the first thing that I take note of is that God allowed Joseph to suffer. God allowed Joseph to suffer. And, and Look, I think like we're all heightened this last couple of weeks. I mean, you have this tragic helicopter accident that takes 9 people, and there's all these kind of questions that are kind of stirred up in our spirit of of why. Is there not? We should go, God, why why is this why does stuff like this happen? Maybe there's even something a little more personal for you this morning like why did this thing happen in life? Why God, are you allowing this suffering to happen? So I don't believe that God caused the suffering, but I do believe that he's sovereign enough that in his infinite wisdom and his ways that are so much higher, so much above my ways, that he does allow things to happen. So suffering happens for a few different reasons. Suffering happens in any story, uh, first of all, just because all of creation was fractured when, when the fall happened. When sin entered the world, everything was put off of its axis. It doesn't rotate around the same center that it used to. And so now our, our DNA is flawed. The creation is flawed. Like, so, so all these different diagnoses or all these terrible things that are happening, all this strife in relationship, it wasn't designed to be there. It wasn't meant to be there, but because of the fall, because sin is a part of this world, indirectly, we all suffer in some way. We also suffer directly because of the sins of other people and the mistakes and shortcomings of other people. So people make mistakes, people are flawed, people sin against you, people gossip, people tell lies, people steal, they kill, they destroy, like people do these things, and we suffer as a result. We also suffer, and we don't like to maybe talk about this one as much, but we suffer because we have an enemy like God, yes, God is seated on his throne, but there is also an enemy and he, his chief mission is to steal, kill and destroy. And so, so you look at the story of Joseph and what we can conclude is that God, God absolutely allowed this to happen to him. But God has this sweet move that only he can do where he says the devil meant this for evil. You meant this for evil and I meant it for good. He can take the enemy's schemes against us and he can flip them around and use them offensively against the enemy. How awesome of a move is that? It's what Paul talks about too in Romans 8. We can throw this up on the screen. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And so maybe I don't understand all the suffering right now, but what I do know is that God is using these things for good, for his good, for his glory. And so in suffering, the question that we shouldn't be asking is, why is suffering happen, or is suffering going to happen? The Bible speaks of suffering in a way that, that uses language not about, like, is it going to happen, but when. When suffering happens. When the storms of life come, make sure that your house is built on the rock. James says, James says um, let suffering have its full effect in produce this steadfastness in your faith. Let it. Let suffering get in you. And so the question becomes now, in the midst of suffering, in the middle of suffering, we go, God, what are you doing? Are you refining something in me? Is there something that you are inviting me into in this circumstance where I can bring the kingdom? Is there something that's off in me? And I think when it comes to suffering, what it, we all have to recognize that in order to be restored, if we're going to call ourselves restorable, if anything, is the very nature of restoration means that something has to have fallen out of its place that it used to be. So there is no restoration if you're just awesome. There is no restoration if it just never fell down below where it was supposed to be. My truck would have never needed a restoration if it didn't, if it didn't rust out over the years. You would never need restoration if you, didn't, if you weren't made aware of the fact that there was a problem. It's like when Jesus comes and he says, I didn't come to save the healthy, I came to save the sick. The people who are aware that they have a problem. And so God allows the suffering. He's refining. He's doing something in it. We shouldn't be so quick to want to just jump out of suffering, but we should go, God, are you forming something in me right now? Is there something you're wanting to, you're wanting to show my heart? And I think the way that we press onwards, the way we focus when we're in the middle of suffering, because it's, it's still an important question. How do, we, how do we press on? How do we carry on? Like life is hard. How do we just keep going in a way that says, I'm not going to quit? I think Paul answers that in Philippians, if we want to turn there real quick. This is right after he says, I don't, I don't count uh, the, the afflictions that I'm facing. I don't count anything of the loss of the suffering that's happening in this current life, even worthy of comparison to that which is coming to be the inheritance that I have in heaven. So he makes this statement where he's like, listen, God's ultimate plan is to restore me back to perfection, and I'm going to stay in that state for forever. So what Paul shows us is he shows us that, man, the best way to focus on suffering is to keep eternity in mind. Like, I'm not a mathematician. Can I just be honest about that? Not a mathematician, but I do know enough about math that any number next to infinity, any fixed number next to infinity becomes zero. That's what Paul is alluding to here, that any any defined amount, you could suffer your entire life. You could be down, you could be, you could be bumming out your entire life. And what God is trying to say is, he's like, I've made a way for you to not experience any of that for forever. For forever. And so let's read Philippians 3, starting in the back half of verse 13. Paul says, But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind Forgetting the past, forgetting the former things, I'm not going to dwell there. But what I'm going to do is instead I'm going to strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. It says, hey, if you've been around church for a little while, if you've got the gospel, you understand the narrative, let's focus Let's focus on what's coming. Let's fix our eyes on what's ahead. Let's not dwell in the past. Let's not, let's not neglect the parts of our story. Let's not give them too much attention. Let's focus on where God is taking us for forever. Let us who are, let us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. I love that. If there's anything else in that's in me that's off, God's going to be gracious and kind enough to reveal it to me. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. What you've attained is everlasting life. Everlasting life doesn't start when you die. Everlasting life starts and it begins in the here and now. As soon as you accept Jesus as your Lord, he takes your story and he says, that story is now restored. It's restored. I've brought you back to where you're supposed to be. The the reconciliation to the relationship that you were meant to have with me all along has been restored. And now what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna put you in this process of life until I ultimately get you into glory where you're gonna live with me forever. It's going to be beautiful. Um, so God doesn't, God doesn't stop the suffering from happening, and God doesn't waste our suffering. He doesn't waste any, any second of it. He's refining. He's doing something, and he's creating in you a story. And so what I love about, about the redemptive nature of God, the restorable like attributes that he has, is that he takes your story and he makes it a weapon against darkness. Here's how this works. So whatever you have going on, whatever past you have, whatever you carried in here with you today, maybe you have some, some dark part of your story that, that haunts you still. You have guilt, you have shame. Uh, whatever it is that you've been through, what you've walked through in this life, when, God, when you understand that God did not move himself from you in those mistakes, but he actually moved himself towards you in those mistakes, then, then the claims of the enemy don't stick anymore. And we can actually create a story in ourselves that becomes a weapon against darkness because the, the, the enemy's main goal is to kill and to steal and destroy. That's all he's after. It's all he's after. Is he's trying to kill, steal, and destroy. And what you gain when you come to Christ, when you come to him with your mistakes, with your past, when you come to him, what Christ says is he says, I'm gonna put a faith in you that, that cannot be taken away by the devil. So, so you can neglect your faith. You can walk away from it, but the devil can't take it from you. That faith belongs to you. It's given to you by God. It can't be taken from you. You can drift. You can have seasons where you're not as connected, but but the devil can't touch it. He can't steal that faith from you. The devil's going to try and kill things in your life. He's going to try and kill. He's going to try and take things away. but, But God has given you abundant life. The devil can't take that from you. He can't have that. He cannot kill you. He might might try and take everything from you. He might even rob you of this life in this body. But what he's not going to do is he's not going to take my eternal life from me. That belongs to me. That's from my Father who's in heaven. He can't take it from me. And then he's going to try and destroy. He's going to try and rob us of our joy. He's going to try and rob us of things. And what God does is he says that was never what life was about. So your finances may be crumbling, that relationship may be crumbling, but you know what? This life has always been about and it always will be about me. And when you come to Jesus, these things get locked in him. We now own these things, like we get to, we get to carry them with us And so now as we go about into the world and we see people who are still in darkness, we get to take the story that God's written in me and you get to say, no, 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 no. listen, I have this past, I have this history, but God's chosen me. I'm a child of his and you can be too. And you get to invite other people into this story and you get to invite the restoration out into the world that we live in. And you get to use the story that God's written in your life, even though it's filled with suffering, even though it's filled with sin, even though it's filled with mistakes. And you get to say, but God being rich in mercy poured out his love for me and he was. Wants to do the same for you. And our stories become this weapon against darkness. It's an awesome move. The devil's just this dog on a leash. That's, what, that's the picture you get when you read Job, right? That's just like, he's not doing anything outside of what God is allowing him to do. And so there's this story that's made in Joseph and, and God's, God's restoring Joseph. God's not, God's not wasting his suffering, And and the last thing that I want to conclude, and then we're going to have a little bit of time for prayer, um, is that there is no sin that can separate you from the love of God. There's no sin that has the ability to distance you far enough away from God's outstretched saving hand. See, a lot of times we talk about this story of Joseph, and we think about it in the context of Joseph, and we should, because he has a lot of awesome stuff going on for him. But have you ever thought about it in the context of the brothers? The brothers get in, like they, they enter into this story at, like through great sin, a huge mistake. Like they have hatred, jealousy, attempted murder, selling their own brother, their own flesh and blood off into slavery. Like they enter into the story at the hands of their sin, at the hands of their mistakes. And God, God uses that mistake to ultimately save them from the famine that would have killed them. Have you thought of that? So we, we say, God, you take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. We think about it in the context of Joseph, but it's also true for the brothers, is it not? The brothers made this terrible mistake. The brothers have this thing that they're carrying with them. Maybe there's shame. Maybe there's guilt along the way. And when they come before Joseph, they certainly have to own their mistakes. They certainly have to come to a, this kind of reconciling moment where they understand how, how bad they messed up. And Joseph says, no. I'm gonna treat you kindly. That's the nature of our God. So I don't, I don't, again, I don't know what you walked in here with. I don't know what this week carried for you. I don't know what mistakes you've made in this life. But there's nothing that you could have done that God's not gonna ultimately use for you to recognize and, and admit your guilt. Then He's gonna swoop in. He's gonna show you His loving, redemptive hand. He's gonna say, "Hey, no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not mad. Come in here. Come on. You're home." Your home. And what God takes out of this moment is he creates the nation of Israel. He, he brings those brothers, like, you, do you know this part of the story? He takes the brothers who were terrible and he makes them like the family of God. He, they become the 12, tri, 12 tribes of Israel. So there's no sin. There's nothing that you can do to distance yourself outside of God's reach of his saving hand. It's just no mistake that you can make. So for the last few minutes here, what I want to do is because um, for a lot of us, I think what this message does, what we should recognize is that uh, we, we either know that we've been restored eternally, because a lot of us are believing this, we've known this for a while, um, but, or, or we're just not walking through intense suffering right now. And so my hope is that maybe you would file, that, that the Holy Spirit would tuck these, this scripture, tuck this story in your heart, and that when you need it, it would be right there and you'd recognize that God's not gonna waste your your suffering. He's gonna make something out of your story that that he's capable of saving you no matter what you get yourself into. I hope you can kind of file that away, but but for those of you in the here and now, where you're saying, God, I need you to break through. I need restoration in this circumstance right now. What I wanna do is I wanna pray together. I I think as the family of God, we should pray for one another. We should enter in and carry, we should step in and carry one another's burdens. And so maybe this is a little bold for you, but what I want you to do in just a minute is I want you to stand up if you have something where you just need God to break through in an area of restoration. Maybe you need to understand that your soul really has been restored. You need to let go of some guilt, of some shame. My my sense praying this week was there were some relationships that that are people that, that we've just been crying out to see restored. There's relationships that are broken. There's brothers, there's sisters, there's moms, there's dads, there's people that are just, it's fallen, it's crumbled and we just need to stand up and we need to admit, God, I need to see your restoration in this relationship. Maybe there's restoration that you need in your finances. Maybe there's restoration that you need in a career, in a job. Your story just isn't going the way that you thought it was going to go. And you need God to break through and you need to see that he is your restorer, that you, your situation, your circumstance is restorable. It's not just fixable in this own little human capacity. It's far greater than we can ever ask for, imagine, or even think of that's the kind of restoration that's available today. And so if that's you, if if something I just said, if that strikes you somewhere, would you just stand up where you're at right now? You can go and just stand. And if you're not part of the family, you're like, it's your first Sunday, you're you're in now, okay? You're part of the family. You're here, we're all standing up, we're praying together. Church, would you just kind of get yourself around somebody and and I'm gonna pray and you can extend your hands where you're at maybe, but we're gonna pray for people. We're gonna pray for these people standing. We're gonna pray for our brothers and sisters. So make sure no one's standing alone. Make sure someone's nearby to somebody else. Make sure you're extending hands, laying hands on somebody. God, you see us just just like Caden prayed, man, so spot on. As we step out in faith, as we physically respond, where where, where, where we admit our frailty, where we admit that we need you to come in, God, you are faithful to meet us to breathe life into our situation, to breathe life into our story. Some people standing right now, they're considering the situation down and out. They're considering it so broken that they want to give up. God, would you meet them? Would you meet them in this moment and show them that you are capable beyond our imagination to restore whatever it is that's on their heart this morning, God? God, I pray that the comforter would be in this place, that your Holy Spirit would be comforting, would be near. In the middle of suffering, God, you are so, so close. And so would some of these people just feel your nearness right now? God, we ask for you to break through. Break through, God. Show us that we're not that no matter what somebody did or no matter what we did, we're not counted out. It's not too far gone. It's capable of restoration. By your spirit, by your power, God, I just pray that this would be that this would be a place where there's healing today where we move past some problems today, God. We lift you up. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, go ahead and stay where you are. We're not gonna close the song today and our time is out, but what I want, I want you to encourage you all to do, we're gonna have our prayer team come forward. We're gonna have our prayer team in the back. If you have an encouraging word for somebody that was standing, I want you just to, you can go ahead and share that with them. Take a couple minutes. Um, This is not the time to be like, hey, I guess uh, God really gave me this sin that I think you're struggling with. This is not the time for that, okay? That's not how we're gonna pray for one another. But if you have something encouraging, something uplifting that you wanna say to somebody, now's the time to do that. And so we're gonna keep this space quiet. Let the ministry continue to happen. If you wanna come up and get prayer by the prayer team, they're gonna be available right up front here. In the back, they have lanyards on. But other than that, we are done today. Um, Enjoy your Super Bowl Sunday. Thank you for being here. We love you.